Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it is your first time here, uh, my name is John. I am the lead pastor. So we are in the midst of our series called Heal. And if it is your first time here, let me kind of explain to you how this series works. It's my opinion, uh, at least, that I believe that every single person comes to church or comes to God because we are looking for healing in some part of our life. Some aspect of our life, we are looking for God to sort of reach in and supernaturally touch and and make whole and and make better. And over the course of this series, we are taking a look at specific issues that I think that we as a church here deal with. And taking a look at what the scripture says about how we can begin to experience some healing in those areas. We launched this series by talking about the body. And we just had a, a, a realistic conversation about what healing looks like this side of heaven. And last week we had a fun conversation talking about relationships, talking about marriages specifically. We talked about the fact that inside of a marriage, Jesus and Paul, they say, you know what, it needs to be one of mutual submission, where we, in essence, live to serve each other. Our hopes, dreams, and desires, we live to to make that come true for the other person. And we wrapped up by having what I thought to be a fun conversation, talking about what would it look like in your life if you just implicitly trusted your spouse, that in spite of what you see, just always believe the best about every single thing they're doing. And it led to some good conversation in my own home. We, we talked about a lot of things. We had some friends over that night, and we talked about ways they experienced this in their marriage and at the gym the next week. We talked about how, you know, how they all put this together, and I think it's a good conversation. If you're married, if you didn't go back and, and see this, you should go back and watch it. There's some good tips there, some good conversation you can have. But this week, I want to talk to you about the mind. Specifically, I want to talk to you about our thoughts and, and how our thoughts can really begin to have a major impact on our life and the world around us. So as I was researching um, this particular message, I learned something, that there is a major debate going on in the scientific and medical community talking about whether the brain and the mind are the same thing. There are some scientists and doctors that say, yes, the brain and the mind are the exact same thing. There's another school of thought that says, no, they're different. They're two different entities. They'll say the brain is a physical organ, and it is the physical home where the mind lives. But regardless of which camp these people find themselves in, they say, we we do agree on what the mind does. That the, The job of the mind, in their opinion, is that it runs our thoughts, our feelings, our memories, our beliefs, and our behaviors. Now, I look at this list, and That's a pretty big list. I mean, that's a pretty comprehensive list. I can't really think of anything that happens in our day-to-day or even in our bodies that doesn't fall into really one of these categories. I mean, in essence, our minds run everything. Not to mention our mind is, is really on the front line of battle. Every single day, everything is just coming through these eyes and hitting our mind. All the stresses of work and school and whatever the case may be, it's all going into our minds. And every week, you pass me on the way up, I kind of stand up there at the end of the escalator, and I like to ask people, hey, how's it going? How, how was your week? And everyone's always kind of like, ah, I'm here, right? I made it. I'm fine. I'm here. What I've learned about all you guys and, and people in general is that we're all pretty tired. We're just all pretty, pretty tired in life. Because life, or at least so we tell ourselves, zaps our energy. 
and we're just, we can't feel like we can shut our minds off. And, and I've heard people use that phrase. They go, John, I just can't seem to turn my mind off. It's just going and going and going and going and going. I wake up in the morning, and it's already going a million miles an hour. I, I put my head down to sleep at night, and I just, I can't shut it off. It's just constantly going, and I'm exhausted. And we start playing the blame game. We start trying to figure out, well, what is causing this? Why can't I shut it off? And we say, well, it's my boss. Eh, it's work. It's the kids. It's life. But the real culprit, the real reason you're so exhausted in life, according to scientists and according to scripture, the real culprit is your inner monologue. Do you realize that you talk to yourself all day long? Non-stop. We're having a conversation with ourselves up here. Science has figured out that on average, humans have about 70,000 thoughts a day. Did the quick math before. I think that works out to about 3,000 thoughts an hour. All day long we're talking. You're listening to me right now, but you're also thinking, I got to go to brunch afterwards. Did I get my clothes ironed? I'm up here talking to you, and I'm wondering, like, you know, does this make any sense? Is my fly down? We're all, this, we're all, are they thinking this is funny? Okay, what's the next slide? What, I, I got to get the car. We're all, we're all doing a million things at once. We're constantly talking to each other, all right? And, and here's the deal. Doesn't mean we're talking out loud. I mean, you're talking to yourself all day long, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're talking out loud, although... Some of us do talk out loud. I mean, every once in a while, my brain will sort of break radio silence and, and it kind of comes out. And it's inevitably like my wife is in like the next room and she hears me. And, and it's always the same thing. Whenever finally like my inner monologue makes like a public debut, she always says the same thing. She says, wow, you're so hard on yourself. And she's right. Because I'm the kind of person that will just, you know, drop laundry. You know, just drop a t-shirt that I was folding. I'll call myself an idiot, right? And you, but you might be this, it just, we're, we're, you know, we're just, we're so hard on ourselves. And I was thinking, wouldn't it be interesting if we just did an experiment and I was able to somehow put like this microphone inside your head and we could broadcast your inner monologue onto these speakers, right? Wouldn't that be interesting? What would we hear? I think first we'd find out that a lot of you are creeps. No, we are, <laughs> okay? We already know you're creepy. We don't, need a, we don't need any kind of special scientific experiment for that. No, I think it would be interesting because, you know, because we're chattering all day long, okay? It's kind of like a wedding DJ, right? The more they say, the less you hear, okay? We're almost immune to our own thoughts. But if we could hear your thoughts, immediately we could put a spotlight on the issue. We go, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wow, you're angry. Whoa, you're aggressive. You're very anxious, okay? And I was thinking about the guy up here and what I say to myself all day long, and I'll just pose this question to you because I pose it to myself. Would you be friends with a person who speaks to you as you speak to yourself? Because John, the grip of the person, he's fine. I mean, he's funny, right? He brings something to the equation. Okay, I might be a little grumpy at times. By and large, this guy's fine to be around. But this guy up here would not want to be friends with this person up here. Because this guy is the guy who told me this week when I had calf pain, he told me I had multiple sclerosis. 
Trust me, all week long he's been telling me that. They're fine, by the way, okay? But I don't want to hang out with this guy. If this guy was a person, I would, but I'm with him all day long. And you're with your brain all day long, and it's talking nonstop. And it's this inner monologue that needs healing, okay? Because I can guarantee you there's no filter on what's going on up here. And it's going all day long, nonstop. You see, the problem that we all suffer with, the fundamental issue when we're talking about our minds, the problem is our thought life. See, when we put no thought into our thoughts, but your thoughts have a tremendous impact in your life. Your thoughts have a tremendous power in your life, way more power than you could ever, ever realize. Let me kind of give you just an illustration about the power of your thoughts. So our thoughts dictate our emotions. Now you hear this and you may say, eh, I don't think so. My emotions feel pretty much automatic. There, 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 there's, there, there, there's no choice going on here. They're pretty much automatic. The reason you think your emotions are automatic is because they happen like that. They happen so fast in a blink of an eye. But scientists will tell you that you actually have a choice. That, that what you tell yourself about your surroundings dictates how you feel and how your emotions are. So let me give you an example. In my life, um, when I'm at a red light, okay, this is just me, but once you begin to understand this, you can see how this works in every aspect of your life. But I'm at a red light, and that light turns green. If the guy in front of me doesn't immediately floor it, okay, I'm so mad. I just lose it, okay? I'm, I'm not even exaggerating. It just, it, it just drives me crazy. But my wife will be in the seat next to me, and she's fine. Not a problem at all. And she looks at me, and she's like, why are you so mad? She goes, you're in your nice car. You're with your beautiful wife. She always says that. You're with your beautiful wife. It's beautiful out. And I look at her. I'm like, what drugs are you on? How are you, what are you, how is this not driving you crazy? So I was looking at the research this week, and I said, all right, let me do a little bit of psychology for you right on this stage for you right now, based on what I've learned. The green light isn't what's making me mad. The guy in front of me who clearly cannot drive his car is not what's making me mad. I'm making me mad. Because I'm the one who's telling myself that this man's an idiot. I'm the one who's telling myself that this man, um, I don't know, is going to wreck my day. That this man is going to make me late. And I got nowhere to go. I'm going to like Whole Foods. What, what's the rush, all right? But this man is wrecking my day. And so I, I, I tell myself all this. I hand this script now over to my brain. My brain reads and goes, oh, I see. He wants to be angry. There we go. I've done it to myself. I've made myself angry by the thoughts that I've told myself. But here's the problem. After a while, our emotions begin to shape the world in which we live. You keep handing your brain those angry scripts, eventually you're going to be living in an angry world. Every interaction you have is going to be some battle that you have to win. Someone's always out to get you, and you're always going to be in a fight because you've handed your brain that angry script long enough that goes, oh, I see, you want to live in an angry world. See, we're all on earth. But we're all occupying different little worlds. You hand your brain the worried script long enough, you're going to be living in a scary world. 
Around every corner is some new threat. And we don't think about it like this. Solomon in Proverbs said this, For as he thinks within himself, so he is. Thousands of years later, doctors are now confirming what Solomon says, that we are what we think. That our reality is dictated and shaped by the words that we tell ourselves. And that's a scary thought. I was thinking about what are scary verses that are inside the Bible. This is a scary one. The idea that our thoughts have this much control over how we view the world. So I'm just going to ask you this question. Do we have control over our thoughts? Or do our thoughts have control over us? Because if science is right, and if scripture is right, then our thoughts control everything. You saw that list. Your thoughts control everything. They, they control how you experience the world, other people, okay? They control how you experience love. They control, ultimately, how you experience God. So are your thoughts under control, or are they absolutely running wild? I mean, do your thoughts bring you any kind of peace whatsoever, or do they just cause problems? So as we kind of make the case for how we can begin to bring healing into our thought life, how we can bring, bring healing into our minds, the first thing that we have to recognize, according to Scripture, is that we shouldn't believe everything we think. You cannot believe everything you think. Now, this is hard, because we get to a place in our life where we go, well, I thought it. Must be true, right? I, I mean, I came up with a thought. It's my voice in my head. I wouldn't lie to myself. It has to be true. But let me ask you a question. How many times have you convinced yourself of something that ended up not being true, that you wrecked your whole day because you told yourself something was going to happen, you told yourself something about life, and it ended up not being true, and you wrecked your day, your week, your month, maybe even decades. You wrecked because of a lie, in essence, that you told yourself. I wrecked my last week telling myself I had MS, right? We all do it because our minds are broken because of sin. This is what Scripture says. Sin has infiltrated every aspect of this world, from the environment to our bodies, and our mind is no exception. The very mechanism that we rely on to run the show has been impacted by sin. That's why we can't always trust what we think. Jeremiah in the Old Testament said this, the human mind is more deceitful than anything else. Isn't that amazing? He gives it's incurably bad, who can understand it? This is why psychologists who are dealing with people who suffer with stress or anxiety or depression will tell their patients, you cannot believe everything you think. I understand they're your words. I understand that they're scary, but they're not true. You have to, in essence, ignore what your mind is telling you if you want to start to get better. Scripture says that our mind is confused and anxious, evil, restless, rash, and deluded. And these are just six that I pulled out. There's many, many more. But you look at this list, and it's like, there's no wonder why, okay? There's no wonder why we have no peace. 
It's no wonder why we, we, we suffer uncontrollably with worry. Or why we fly off the handle with anger. Why we, why we suffer with, with jealousy. There's no, there's no worry. I mean, our operating system has been severely damaged. Things aren't working the way that God wanted them to work. But there's hope. And that's what I want to talk about. So Jesus, towards the very end of his ministry, he's talking with his disciples, and he goes, all right, boys, here's the deal. I am about to die. Like, it's coming right up. And I'm going to go back to the Father. And I'm leaving you alone. But when I go, I'm going to leave you with something. I'm just going to give you a gift. I'm going to leave you with something. He says, I am leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. He's saying, boys, anybody who says yes to me, anybody who calls himself a Christian, I'm going to give them the gift of ultimate peace. And this peace that I give them, it, it can't be found anywhere in the world. You can't find this on a nature walk. You can't find it at the yoga studio. You can't find it using Headspace, the mindfulness app. And by the way, these are all good things. These are all things that help bring calm into your life. But Jesus is saying, if you want the ultimate peace that comes from God, it only comes from me. Now, you hear this and you go, wait, he gave us this because I don't feel this at all. I mean, this is, like when I said yes to Jesus, I feel like he forgot to give me this gift. This is a gift that I want in my life because everything is crazy. So where do I go to get this gift? Jesus qualifies this statement. He goes, yes, I am leaving you with a gift of peace of mind and heart. He goes, but, 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 let not your heart be troubled, he says. Neither let it be afraid. You see what he's saying here? He's saying, you can have my peace in this world, yeah, but it's a choice. You have to choose to receive my peace. He goes, what you're doing, you're letting your heart be troubled. You're letting your heart be afraid. And if you want my peace, you have to actively, actively choose to not let that happen. See, I think Jesus is telling us that we are actively letting our thoughts prevent us from feeling the peace that he wants us to feel. That's what he gave us. Peace of mind and peace of heart. I'll just ask you this question. If your thought life is characterized by anything other than peace, if it's characterized by worry or anger or chaos, is this from God? I mean, if Jesus said, I came to give you peace of mind and heart, and that's not how your thought life is characterized, is what you're dealing with from God? Because signs and scriptures say that our thoughts control everything about our lives. And if your thoughts are not coming from God, then who's controlling your life? So Paul steps in, and he's always great. He always is, is good at showing us how we can begin to practically apply Jesus' wisdom. So he says, all right, if you're somebody who needs some healing in your thought life, if you find that your, your, your mind is running crazy and your thoughts are pulling you away from the peace that Jesus said that he gave you, let, let, me, let, me, let me tell you what to do. Here's what you do. When you have that thought, we break it down. We break down every thought and proud thing that puts itself up against the wisdom 
of God. He's saying whatever you're dealing with, that thought, maybe it's anger, maybe it's fear, maybe it's worry, whatever's pulling you away from the peace that Jesus talked about, the wisdom of God. He says, point it out. Break it down. Say, ooh, ooh, not so fast. Not so fast. Here it is. This doesn't square up at all with what Jesus wants in my life. He continues. He goes, we take hold of every thought. Some translations say take captive every thought. I kind of like the idea of taking hold. It's kind of like grab it by the throat. Just grab it by the throat. You know you want to do it with those thoughts. You grab it by the throat and you make it obey Christ. He's saying when you're thinking these thoughts and they're driving you crazy and your mind is spinning out of control and it's anger and it's worry and it's jealousy, whatever that negative emotion is that you're dealing with, grab it by the throat and hand it to God and say, Lord, please bring this thought right now into your submission. In the midst of this lie that I must be telling myself or that the enemy is telling myself, show me the truth in the midst of this lie. But this is not a one-time thing. This is something that we've got to do every day. For some of you, I don't know what's going on in your life, this may need to be minute by minute because the reason it has to be an ongoing process is that unlike our stomach, the mind has no filter. I mean, you eat a bad piece of sushi, your body's going to let you know. One way or another, it's coming out. It knows it should not be in your body, but your mind has no natural filter. Anything that goes in lands there and stays there, which, on a side note, is why you really need to surround yourself with good people. You really need to be living right because all of that has such a massive, massive impact on the way that you think and inevitably the way that you live your life. Paul continues. He says, don't worry about anything in this life. And some of you go, well, I don't, that's not me. I don't worry. Well, according to what I read this week, worry and fear is at the core of every negative emotion. Doctors say you have to brush off some dust and dig a little bit, but you're going to find it. Whether it's anger or complaining or jealousy, it's all there. It's right down there. And Paul says, look, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Just give it up to God, okay? Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. He's saying, just don't let negativity, don't let negativity pull you away from the peace of Jesus. Don't let it pull you into worry. Just give it all up to God. I kind of call this conversational prayer. Paul is saying, if you want peace in your life, you need to constantly be praying to God, constantly offering up all that you're going through, all that you're struggling with, all the craziness up here, worry, anger, whatever you want to call it, all the negative emotions, you got to constantly, constantly go before the Lord in prayer. Now, some of you don't pray. That's, that's your prerogative, okay? Some of you pray before meals. Some might pray before bed. But Paul is saying if you really want peace, you need to be praying constantly. And that doesn't mean walking around going like this with your eyes closed and your hand. Okay, that's not what he's talking about. It's just a constant conversation. And I've actually learned to do this over my life, okay? I pray about everything, just anything, 
even inconsequential things, small things, all right, why not? I pray for parking spots, okay, that's not a lie. Always praying for parking spots, okay? He answers those prayers sometimes, but here's the deal. Just, I send it up to God. He could sort it out. He's dumb. He doesn't want to deal with it. Fine, but at least I'm doing my job. I'm just here. This is because I want peace. I want peace. I just want to be in a constant conversation. Paul says, when you put yourself in consistent prayer, always offering up what you're struggling with to God, when you do that, then you will experience God's peace. And I love the way he, he talks about God's peace. He goes, when you feel God's peace, it will exceed anything you can understand. Anything. You know when you feel this the most? When you lose a loved one. And you just, you feel the peace. And, and it doesn't even make sense. I mean, in the midst of all, all the sadness, there's just a, a peace about you. Or when you lose your job and there's really no prospect of another job, but just, God's in control. I just feel that peace. That is what Paul is talking about here. When you pray about the struggles and the worries and the fears, God will heal your thought life. Your situation remains the same. The, the world that you're in remains the same. But he has now healed your thought life. He has changed your thoughts. And as you know, your thoughts control your emotions. And now that he's changed your thoughts and he's healed your thoughts, your emotions can feel that peace. And that peace, he says, will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. He's saying, when you take those thoughts captive, whatever they are, when you offer up to God all the time, when you refuse to worry, when you get, refuse to get pulled back in, God will now guard your heart. He will guard your mind. He will be that filter that your brain does not have naturally. So Paul ends by saying, all right, we're going to do one final tweak. Because I've showed you how to stop those thoughts. I've showed you how to just grab them and say, this is not the truth. But now I have to reprogram the way that you think. I have to reformat your operating system, so to speak. I've got to put you on more of a positive path. So he says this, and now, brothers, sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts. He's not saying, you know, make them right. He's saying fix as though focus them. Make a concentrated focus. Fix your thoughts on what's true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. He's saying think about these things. This is, this is, this is the choice. Think about things that are excellent. And worthy of praise, he's saying, look, this world is dark. There's no reason that you need to be getting sucked into the negativity that's all around you. Think positively. Think about good things. Think about puppies, right? Think about things that are nice and true and admirable. And here's the thing. In Christianity, for some reason, Positive thinking has got a really bad rap. It gets a really bad rap. But I believe that you can be both realistic about life and still choose to have a positive outlook. Paul's saying to do it, so why don't we? I think we should. He ends by saying this, keep putting into practice all you learned 
and receive from me everything you've heard from me and saw me doing. This is why it's so important to go to church. This is why it's so important to read the Bible if you can. Paul is saying, when you continually put into practice and remind yourself about what you learned at church, about what you read in the Bible, when you do this on an ongoing basis, it will protect your thoughts from going down those roads that Jesus never wanted you to go down. You do all this, then the God of peace will be with you. And I think this is interesting because Scripture says that God never leaves us, that he's always with us, that the Holy Spirit, who is God, lives inside of us. Jesus, they called him Emmanuel, God with us. But Paul is saying, look, listen, you do everything I told you to do, you take those thoughts captive, you refuse to worry, you refuse to get sucked into the negativity in this life, you focus your thoughts on positive things, on good things, you live the way Jesus told you to live, then the God of peace will be with you. And you will know when the God of peace is with you, when you can just breathe, and you just know that God is in control. So what's the practical? It's your first time here at this church. Every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure that you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So if you're a person in this audience that skews negative on the thought side of things, and, and let's be honest, probably all of us, very few people are positive people. I want to recommend a book to you. It's called The Positive Dog. I recommend this book to everybody I can. I read it two weeks ago. It'll take you like an hour and a half to read it. But it's written by a guy named John Gordon, and he's a Christian, but he's now made a living really speaking to NFL teams and corporations, and he's become a master at positive thinking. Realistic thinking, but positive thinking. And it's just a cute little story. It can almost be like a kid's story. It's just two dogs talking to each other. But the truths that this man shares in this book, I'm telling you, are life-changing. Briefly, and I'm not giving anything away because he talks about it in the first chapter. He says, e inside each and every single one of us live two dogs, a positive dog and a negative dog. And whichever one you feed the most is the one that gets stronger. It's the one that gets stronger. And I just think too often we are just handing the food to that negative dog. Buy this book. It's on Kindle. It's like 10 bucks. It's worth the money. It can change your life. Now, if you're someone in this room that you don't even know how you feel at this moment, okay? You don't know if you're angry. You don't know if you're worried. You don't know if you're sad. You might be all, you just know you don't like the way that you feel, but you just don't know what it is. I would challenge you all to ask God to search your heart. Here's what this means. This is, this is almost a prayer that David makes in the psalm. He says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. I love that word that he chooses. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. Basically, I would challenge you this week, using this as a guideline for your prayer. If, if you're a person that just doesn't know which way is up, go before God and just lay yourself bare. Just say, 
I don't know what's going on in my life. I don't understand what's happening up here, Lord. But I invite you into my heart right now. I give you just full access to everything that's going on in my heart and my mind. And I just pray that you would point out any thought pattern that offends you. Anything that I'm saying to myself that goes against the peace that Jesus wants me to be speaking into my own life. Show me, Lord, what that is. Point it out and help me to turn away from it. Remove it. Bring healing. Get rid of it. He'll answer that prayer. Lastly, and I don't know who I'm telling this to, but it could be somebody here. I would challenge you to talk with somebody. Maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a friend. It might need to be a professional. But you might be at a place in your life where you just, you can't handle it anymore. That you're at your wit's end, that just maybe you can't even get out of bed. Or you're riddled with symptoms because of the craziness of what's going on out here. I would just challenge you to talk to somebody. Be brave enough to speak up and say, I need help. I need some help. I've lost control and I can't seem to get it back. I need some help. That decision could save your life. And that decision could put you back onto the path of healing. This week as you're hopefully beginning to pay a little bit of attention about what you're saying up here, that inner monologue that's going all day long. Remember, don't let your thoughts prevent you from feeling God's peace. It was a gift from him. It's there for the taking. Don't let your thoughts get in the way. Let me pray for you.